For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, says that we are live. Um, don't see anybody tuning in yet. See zero, zero, zero. Well, they'll they'll come in. I don't want to wait too long. Uh, there we go. Got if some you people build watching. it, they will come. If they build it right, yeah. Or the, I like the metaphor. It's like uh, there was a really cheesy Christian movie I watched as a kid, and I mean it's like really cheesy, but it had a metaphor that like my my wife and I use with each other, which is like you have to uh, prepare the fields for the for the uh, harvest rains. And it's like you're like you know if you're praying for the drought to end. It's a true test of your faith if you pray for the drought to end and then you go out there and prepare the field as if it's like you know it's going to rain. So that's mm -hmm. what we're doing, I guess. <laughs> uh, so good evening, everybody. Those who are tuning in live, I am Jacob Daniel, host of the Daniel 3 uh, Biblical Anarchy podcast, um, joined by my good friend David Fight from uh, Fight for Liberty tonight. Uh, Dave, how are you doing? Uh, I... I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. This is awesome. Yeah. I'm excited. If I had known that you were going to be in, in uh, Bucks County this weekend, I would have tried to like get together in person to do this maybe or something. Because that's not, I mean, it's a bit of a drive for me, but it's not, it's like a two-hour drive. It's doable, but it's all right. Mm -hmm. We'll, we'll uh, rely on the- I didn't uh, know I was going to be here until about a week ago, so uh, <laughs> this, this is the life. Right, you're you're going around door knocking for the Green Party. Uh, that's right. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll go with that. That's I think that would be better than what I'm actually doing. <laughs> um, I'm working for the Buck County Republican Committee at the moment, uh, just doing like data, uh, data gathering surveys, uh, which has actually been really fun because I get to talk to people about why they no longer support the Republican Party, and then report oh. that back to the Republican Party and be like, "Hey, y'all are fucking up, and here's why." So that part has actually been really fun, and I get to do that at least like four or five times a day. So that's been enjoyable. Yeah. No, that that sounds pretty libertarian. Telling Republicans why they suck at their job. I mean, that's that's one of my favorite pastimes. It's like I've been. Mm -hmm. I, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen my Twitter lately, but lately it's I've seen some people who are like uh, going the hey, we're going to go do the GOP and the Paleo route, and I'm just like, oh, cool. It's like. You know, you guys are just like the neocons with uh, the war in Afghanistan. It's like, hey, 20 more years, it'll definitely work this time, right? 20 more years, the GOP will definitely finally preserve some ounce of liberty in our lifetimes, maybe. maybe 14 not. days <laughs> to flatten the GOP. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's also great because I'm working on, like, a countywide thing. So I'm encouraging people to, like, A, get out and vote and on and odd election year and be like informing people because a lot of the people i'm talking to are like oh is this is for next year is this like with the governor thing and it's like no you have more influence over what happens in your day-to-day -day life by voting this year than any other year like go elect your sheriff and make sure that your sheriff is someone who's not going to enforce any mask mandates or vaccine mandates 
Like, if that's something you care about, this is the year to go make sure that your sheriff is someone that believes in that. And so that's been, that's also like a nice libertarian kick to my working for the Republican Party. <coughs> yeah, that makes sense. Um, I'm lowering the resolution a little bit just to try to make the feed a little better. Um yeah, you've you've been all over the place as far as I mean, you've worked on the Tulsi campaign. You're helping Republicans now. You do stuff in the LP. What what was your like? When did you first start getting like your first uh, entry into your like you know politics as it were? And and what inspired you to do that? Uh, so my first entry into it, I actually did nothing for this campaign other than like a little bit of organization. I was a terrible volunteer. Uh, but the first campaign that I volunteered on was a mayor of Syracuse race for the Libertarian Party. And so basically all I did was like, I went to the one meeting where we like handed out all the petitions and I like helped them organize that. And then I took petitions and then I never went petitioning. Um, <laughs> and then I moved a little bit later and I kind of got, got disenfranchised and, and I didn't know anybody in the New York City party when I got there until Larry Sharp's campaign. And so I met him like four days before election day and volunteered on his campaign the other three days. Uh, and from there, I was heavily involved, ran, ran in 2019. Uh, and that's when I like quit my job and like to run full time. And I've been doing politics full time since it's actually been exactly two years. Like I think it's I'm like two or three days away from my two year anniversary of not working a real job. Wait, I thought I thought working in politics meant that you were a grifter, or or that that only when the Macy's caucus does it. Mm. <laughs> no, it's only if you have a podcast. Oh, okay. So 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 you had a two month hi hiatus. So I'm still a grifter. You're back yeah. now. You're still a grifter. <laughs> Like it's, if I actually body, made money from the that. podcast, that would be different. Right. That's why I have to go grift in the GOP is because my podcast doesn't pay the bills. Yeah, hey, watch out. That's that's our job. You're 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 cutting into our uh, our paycheck, man. What the fuck you doing? Especially in Bucks County. Like I'm right in your guys' turf. Yeah, I know. It's a it's a pretty bold move. This is like uh in the um the National Geographic Channel, when like the, uh, uh, like like the the pack of of hyenas come and move in on the lion's territory, and it's gonna be a freaking battle. So, um, yeah, that's um, what you know the uh, remember my, I I don't know, I just I don't think I could ever do anything outside of the LP. Like I really don't. Maybe that's just me. I think I'm just I came from the left. And I saw how corrupt the Democratic Party was when I was supporting Bernie. And so it's just like, I would never want to try that. And I just find the GOP so disgusting that I would never want to try that. So really, for me, it's LP or bust. And if this LP thing doesn't work out, then I'm just going to go back to my, you know, black flag anarchist agorist roots and, you know, just chalk it up to experience and say I, you know, wasted my time in politics for a few years. But um mm -hmm. You know, but I don't know. I, I, I've been trying to, because uh, I have a lot of friends that are unfortunately going into that like GOP route. Like, especially like I have friends that live in Florida who, because of DeSantis and all that, they're like, we don't want to, like, you know, they, they, they feel like they have to support DeSantis and encourage the Republicans in Florida 
to be more libertarian to sort of like push back against the COVID passports and, and lockdowns and stuff like that. And it's like, I don't know, like, I guess I can maybe see where they're coming from, but I just also am worried that like, are you making a deal with the devil? Does it mean like, I don't know. I just looking throughout history, the GOP just, you know, I was like, to me, this is like, even if I was going to grant you this one time that maybe working within the GOP might preserve a little, a little bit of Liberty. It's like the exception that proves the rule, right? Because it's like, you know, what, what have they really – like, if, if the only thing they've done is a couple governors in some states have said no to going from the normal tyranny to extra tyranny plus, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm not going to exactly, like, you know, let's go throw a parade for these people. It's like you you, you, yeah. you found out, you know, hey, they were only this much of a, of a shitty politician. I guess. Yeah. And let's not forget that DeSantis is still a neocon. Right. Like, oh, yeah. Huge. Like, he's, yeah. Like, very, very, like, the the DeSantis for president people, like, like, no, hard stop. Do not make that man our commander in chief. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Or at least don't, you know, I wouldn't, you know, like, I'm okay with, like, if somebody wants to look at, like, the Republican president. Republican candidate versus the Democrat one and go, eh, I would prefer this tyrant because I feel like he would suck less. Like, I'm okay with that, but I wouldn't go out there and throw my support behind the tyrant that I think will suck less. It's kind of like going out and saying, I want him to be my slave master because I heard he only beats his slaves twice a day and that one does it four times a day. It's like, (laughs) I'm probably going to spend more time advocating against slavery than I am advocating for the slave master that'll beat me less but i don't know that's Mm -hmm. just the way my mind works i I guess um yeah you know but i'm trying to i'm trying to be not so i don't know like purist i guess and like you know just agree to disagree with those people and i want to practice what i preach i know that you've been on the receiving end as much as i have from some libertarians in the movement that seem to want to focus too much on criticizing what other people do instead of just focusing on what like doing what they think what? is the right thing. Yeah, I know that you know I don't know, maybe it's just me. Uh, you you haven't received any uh <laughs> any hate. No. You know, I, I think I'm especially still public- not for my choice of Republican presidential candidates, possibly maybe <laughs> in a hypothetical world. <sighs> Jesus. Right? Yeah. That I can't yeah. believe how did it take how did it take six months for that tweet to come back to bite me in the ass? I thought it was gonna be instant. It took six months. <laughs> I, I I don't know. Guess I guess they were uh off their game or they were too they were too busy targeting me and doxing my family and stuff. So that that took mm-hmm. them a a good bit of time, but but they got that out of the way. So then they had time to go back and, and find all your stuff. I guess that's the way it the way it works <laughs> or something. I don't know. <laughs> Oh God! Uh, uh, Will fight versus Dave. Dave fight. Fight. God, that that's too that's too much, man. That, like I, that's too many ites. Will fight versus Dave fight. Fight night. That is say that five times oh, fast. Wow. There's a, I actually there's don't... a lot of comments. I forgot to click back into the comments screen. Oh. Yeah, there is. See, see my see, the one guy here commenting a lot. Uh, Caleb is one of my. Uh, Christian anarchist friends who lives in Florida that I was talking about. He he wants to know. He he wanted me to ask you this. He wanted to know how far you went in Boy Scouts. <laughs> I don't know. I saw that. Um, <laughs> I'm actually an Eagle Scout. 
All right. All right. It's time to time to uh t- time to flex, Caleb. How far did you go? We're gonna we're gonna have a Boy Scout <laughs> tick measuring contest or something. I don't know. I was never in Boy Scouts. So I don't even know how far an Eagle Scout is. Is mm-hmm. that is that pretty high or is that like normal? It's the highest. It's like as far as you mm-hmm. can go. There's like a couple of like things that you can get past that. So oh nice. Um Oh, he yeah, was, he there's like there's like yeah. little little things that, that yeah palms that's what he's talking about um no i will admit so you might have me beat there uh because i got my eagle scout like two weeks before my 18th birthday and mm. so there was no opportunity for me to get anything past that <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's you know i don't know the only thing i know about the boy scouts is that they're they're sexist because they won't let let girls join the boy scouts or something that's that's the extent of not my, anymore. my not anymore not anymore <laughs> uh but now they're just rapists to... <laughs> oh, god. <laughs> oh god all right well this is a good segue you know i get a lot of flack in the libertarian movement because i i don't know i'm i'm not a fundamentalist christian because to me a fundamentalist christian would be a young earth creationist and a like classical have like a classical eschatology where they believe in some form of the end times and i really don't my reading of the bible is sort of that like the the, literally the beginning and the end genesis and revelations are more allegorical so uh but other than that i'm i'm very close to that i guess i mean i have very uh, at this point in my life very conservative views on things like sex and gender and marriage and stuff but obviously as a libertarian it's just those are my preferences i don't care what anybody else does um Mm -hmm. you grew up in christian a christian environment too um but i don't know too much about that i did want to go a little bit into uh that journey uh tonight with you to see uh you know so did you grow up in a more evangelical like conservative christian environment or what was what was that exactly like um, so I go, grew up going to a church that was in the Christian and Missionary Alliance uh, denomination, okay. which is a, a fairly small one. Uh, ideologically, they aligned pretty closely to Baptists for the most part, uh, as far as like the, the bigger camps. Uh, but they have like a really heavy focus on foreign missions, and they're also extremely organized and bureaucratic, uh, like very like you know tiered and like all the all the money goes up and comes back down. And it wasn't, it wasn't in like the really negative way that some churches are, you know, like there weren't uh, people getting super rich off of this, but it was just very like governmental and bureaucratic in nature. So that actually kind of assisted in my hatred for that whole kind of system (laughs) Uh, and led me down the path that I am on. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was a pretty good church. I, at least I thought growing up Um, we were, fairly conservative but not like super sheltered so i still watched like bad movies uh you know swearing was something that i could hear but i couldn't say um like i i was saving sex for marriage for most of my life uh you know i was i was a pretty i was a pretty good kid for the most part um i didn't like i didn't get drunk until i was like 18 um i didn't smoke for the first time until i was 18 um so yeah that it was it was pretty conservative but again like not super sheltered i was boy scouts helped a lot with uh kind of bringing me out of that sheltered nature uh, because i was also homeschooled so i didn't have 
public school to, oh, to okay. teach me all about sex and drugs and things. That explains why you're so socially awkward. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fiscally conservative and socially awkward. Yeah, awkward, right. Uh, yeah, we're actually, like, right now with all the crap going on, we're starting homeschool this year with our oldest, and that is something. I mean, I've seen I've seen both. I have seen people who have homeschooled their kids, and they are completely normal. Like, you would never, like, there's no weird weirdness but then i've also seen the stereotypical like homeschooled kids that are just like you know come into a room and are people and they're just like <laughs> it's just complete turtles but like complete like being a libertarian uh how many people do you know that went to public school that are like that too though like it's a i That's feel true, like, I guess. like it's uh but maybe there's, this type there's of people just exist and it's just that mm. a large amount of them end up being homeschooled. Maybe it's a maybe it's like we're looking at the cause and effect backwards. That would be interesting, actually. Um, but uh, like this person here, Jesse, said that they went to public what school up, and ended up pretty awkward. But yeah, I mean, I went to public school, and I'm I'm not he exactly. I, I was I was pretty <laughs> awkward coming out of high school. Um, my wife can attest to that. Still am. But I'm at least – you get to a point – I don't think you ever get out of being socially awkward. You just become self-aware of it, and then you can micromanage it a little bit um, to, yeah. to some extent. But um, the uh, – uh, yeah, I was – you know, not, I wouldn't say, but, you know, schooling different. But, yeah, I was kind of like not – in some ways I was sheltered. In some ways I wasn't. Um, my parents didn't, like, talk to me about sex, so that was – like I never, I never got the talk. I literally found out about sex through Me watching either. porn. <laughs> that was Same. like I had no idea what I had no idea what sex was. I literally thought that like when the Bible said that they laid together to have children, I literally thought <laughs> laying down and sleeping with the with a person of the opposite sex overnight <laughs> just magically would lead to conception. Uh, until like until like late late middle school uh, <laughs> that's fucking amazing oh yeah and i remember the first time i was uh i was i was given a like pornographic magazine at school and then like like so then i went and watched porn and i was like oh okay that's you know but then i thought that was sinful like I, I literally thought that sex was some kind of perverted weird thing, and then like my parents caught me watching it, and I thought that I was like all messed up. And then like I think my parents realized, oh, crap, like we screwed up and didn't talk to him about sex. Then they gave me the talk, and then I realized like, oh, okay, so that's not like you know, like I, I was, I literally thought that like all sex was some kind of weird sinful thing until so it was that was the only area I was heavily sheltered in though. Um, what it's was funny that they still gave you the talk afterwards. Uh, well, they, they had like, to. Because... <laughs> I had a similar situation, but I still didn't get the talk. Like, never. Like, never once did my parent, did my dad ever, like, have that. Like, him and I didn't talk about sex until after, well, like, my third or fourth, like, partner. And, like, I was living with her. And, like, we were, like, both adults, like, and talking about it like as like equals it's the first time him and I ever talked about that. Um, you probably don't know this because you were homeschooled, but in public school they have in different different years 
they'll have special classes that are announced ahead of time. One, when you're like in elementary school where they go over like good touch, bad touch. And then in a health class and stuff, they had that stuff too. Well, my parents would write me notes to get me out of that stuff because they didn't want the school to teach me about that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I literally missed out on all, you know, the normal ways that I would have at least had some kind of clue into it. So, yeah, it was for, my my years from like 14 to 16 were very like <laughs> tra- traumatic in a sense to, to look back on. Um, Jesse said my mom gave me an anti talk. She literally told me that I would only feel regret afterwards. Well, that's still true, right? I mean, I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's be a good Christian, Jesse. Keep your pants on. Right. I mean, now, of course, you know, I'm still a good Christian, so I only do it under the sheets, missionary with the lights off, five minutes max, and then you roll over and go to sleep and you don't think about what you did. (laughs) Uh, All right. I'm trying to get back on track now. (laughs) Right. Yeah, we went from church to sex like that. That's the problem when you have friends on the podcast is you're like, okay, I'm going to be focused and serious and have very detailed and in-depth philosophical conversation. And then it's like 10 minutes later, you're just like <laughs> sex and boobies. <laughs> it's just like, that's just what happens. See, my sex talk right. went from sex is fun. It's great. Never do it. Wait, went from this sex is fun. It's great. Never do it. Go to summer camp. I don't. Yeah. So I, I went to summer. I went to a Christian uh summer camp but i don't know i guess the one i went to was was a pretty sheltered because i don't remember anything bad ever happening like any scandals like that um although there was i think i think when i like the last year i went but the last year i went i went as a counselor there was like a 16 year old girl who was pregnant who who was at the camp i remember that being a little a little scandalous but um i got fired from my christian summer camp for smoking weed God, that's that's based. <laughs> that's pretty based. Um, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that I was I, already a libertarian, though. So, like, it was fighting the man. Um. So, when did you? Uh, I guess so. Like, you were talking about the church structure you grew up grew up in being something that you would later like informed later. You're kind of. Uh, dissatisfaction or you're sort of like i don't know i guess like the evolution into critiquing you know structures of authority and and control um what what when was your first sort of like when you realized that you were libertarian and 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 like also re- related to like your your growing up in the church i i don't know i don't know your story so i don't know like exactly when these events line up and you know, did you kind of fall away from the church? And as you did that, you became a libertarian or were, the, were those two things completely disconnected? I mean, what were those two things like, you know, as far as like how you went from your upbringing to where you are today? Uh, so I fell away from the church um, a, a few times kind of half-heartedly, uh, but the biggest one was when I was 18, I I broke up with my ex fiance um, and my pastor kind of had a hand in that uh, because we were doing like premarital counseling and he basically told us we shouldn't get married um, because we were having sex. And like, if I couldn't control myself enough to not have sex with my fiance, then I didn't 
like then I wasn't a good enough quality person for her to marry me. Uh, wow. And so like I was like, okay, fuck you and church, like, <laughs> like for a little wow. bit. Like I didn't really walk away from my faith, but I walked away from church. Um, hmm. And then yeah. uh, that year, like, uh, or that that would have been 2015, I guess. Um, so then 2016 happened and I had heard the word libertarian, uh, kind of here and there. Uh, my, one of the homeschooled dads that taught us like a bunch of the history stuff and like economics and stuff like that was a big Ron Paul guy. Um, but he's also kind of like an unironic socialist. So he still confuses me to this day a little bit. (laughs) Um, I can't quite peg him. He got me to he got me to really like like some old school like libertine like French Revolution kind of mm-hmm. style uh, writing like before I ever had like really any political interest. Um, but yeah, uh, 2016, I watched both primaries. I hated everyone in all of them. Uh, <laughs> the only person that I liked in any of the primaries was Lincoln Chafee. <laughs> <laughs> Because he was running as a Democrat in 2016 as, like, the best anti-war Democrat. Like, he kicked Bernie Sanders' ass on anti-war, like, in 2016. And I was like, fuck yeah, this guy seems cool. Um, I was still, I was still not, I wasn't even that anti-war yet. Uh, But I, so I complained about when it got down to basically, like, Trump, Cruz, Clinton, Sanders. um, I was just, like, talking about it constantly, and I was and my dad this is hilarious i just found this out like a month ago so i love to tell this story my dad thought by showing me a better option or possibly um he might be able to shut me up so he introduced me to gary johnson to shut me up which did not work well because now i'm on a podcast (laughs) (laughs) wow that's funny Uh, but yeah uh, so I looked him up. He liked guns and drugs and freedom. And I was like, this guy seems awesome. He agrees with me on more than anyone else I've ever seen in politics at all, like uh, local to national, like anything. I've never seen a politician talk like this. Uh, libertarians sound awesome. So I registered to vote, uh, became a dues paying member of LP National and LP New York, all like in the same night. Um, and yeah, that that's how I came into this shit show. Yeah, I know I know, I know you said that Gary Johnson's the one that that brought you in. I remember so I was still a Bernie Sanders supporter in in Gary in 2016 when Gary ran and I don't know. I he just seemed to me like a at that point I still thought that libertarians were just like and to be fair, like this might be partly cuz that's kind of what Gary is. I just thought the libertarians were just radical Republicans. So to be fair, I think the impression wasn't that far off from what, I mean, maybe not, I like Gary, I guess, but, but Bill Weld, especially, I think fits that description. Perfect. Not even a radical Republican just is a Republican, but uh, the two of them together, just kind of like the message was just like, yeah, it just sounds like more like Republicans before Trump. And I was like, I like them better than Trump, but I was still a Bernie guy. Uh, because I didn't know anything about economics because that's, you know, nobody who's on the left knows anything about economics. Um, but the, uh, yeah, so when you, um, you got, so, uh, 
sorry, I lost my train of thought there. Uh, with Gary Johnson, then he inspired you to, you know, like, all right, this is what I am. I'm a libertarian. Um, looking, looking back at like, you know, the church now from our like libertarian positions, I mean, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to push a little here, like into the personal stuff. Cause that's what I do. I mean, you know, do you still kind of feel like you still have something resembling some kind of faith, even if it's like, I don't know what it is. Like your, your problem isn't so much that you don't believe in God, but you're just still kind of like, you know, as a libertarian looking at the church and you just can't see uh, any meaningful discernment between the way the church runs and the state. It, like, you know, I know that's something that I went through. I'm just wondering if that's, would that be a fair way to put it or what, or how would you put it in your own words? So uh, when I left the, the church and for the, I was, I was kind of like on and off for about two years, which is, which overshadowed, um, that that mayoral cam campaign and the the Larry Sharp campaign, uh, and so during that time, I would I would say that's actually a really good way of describing kind of where I was. I still believed in God. It's actually funny because you mentioned this earlier. I was still a New Earth creationist, uh, like like up until a, little, a year ago or so. Like I left the church multiple times and still kept the Genesis framework in my head. Uh, because that's like that's just how my brain was was founded. Uh, but I actually I found a really great church in New York City. It's called uh, Lower Manhattan Community Church. I highly encourage anyone that visits New York City to go check it out. There, I I absolutely love everyone in that church, and they they were just so much different than any other church that I'd been to. Like uh, I went to Bible study and we like had wine at Bible study, and it was just like fun and and it, it wasn't it wasn't like work or like you know like I didn't have to hide who I was I didn't have to pretend to be a good person like in ways where I didn't think doing those things made me a bad person like I don't think that drinking or smoking weed is is a sin like uh, as long as you're not getting drunk or high and like making just bad decisions, like having a glass of wine is not a sin. And so I hated the fact that for so long I had been raised like that. But I found this church that really actually taught, in my opinion, like the Bible as it's written uh, and with love and compassion. And they put so much work into community outreach and they had a bunch of Bible studies and small groups. And I absolutely loved it. Um, and so I credit them a lot for like helping me find my actual like what I believe the Bible to be and like how I actually want to, the, the morals that I wanted to build my life around. Uh, but then um, over last year, I spent a lot of time with a lot of other like uh, deep, deep thinkers and friends of mine and did a lot of drugs, um, especially psychedelics and gave a lot of thought to a lot of different things. And I, I, I just don't necessarily believe in the Bible anymore. Like I, I just, I don't think that I don't believe in a, a beginning and end. Um, and I don't believe in uh, like the, the one being up there. I'm, I'm a closer more to, I guess, like a Buddhist or something like that. Um, uh, and, and actually I kind of ascribe to the uh, belief that Jesus is a misunderstood Buddhist because Judaism and Buddhism are can completely intertwine and work together, and 
so yeah, I have I have a lot of like Jewish Buddhist friends that uh, talk about that and like how Jesus probably uh, went out east for a little bit during the time that's not recorded and learned some stuff. And when he said like God is in you, he meant that kind of more literally than the Christians take it. That's kind of kind of like where I'm at now. Um, I'm still figuring it out. Basically, the best way to describe my my philosophical views is that you there are two unanswerable questions and that's where did we come from and where do we go and i refuse to base my life on any answer to either of those questions i i i i really resisted trying to say cotton i do after you said that <laughs> where do we come from where do we go? <laughs> i've thought it uh, a couple times when i've said that out loud but i'm I'm so glad somebody else said it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh God. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, where do we come from, and where do we go? Those are the two questions you think are unanswerable. I mean, yeah, I think where do we go? Yeah, I mean, after I, I'm with you on the where do we go. I mean, even as a Christian, it's like when when people ask me what my beliefs are regarding heaven and hell, it's like. A, I, I have literally no idea. I mean, the Bible uses, in my mind, very, you know, esoteric, very, I don't know, like, like um, it uses imagery to describe that stuff, but there's no specifics given. And and my view, like, I'm different than a lot of Christians who, like, I think the book of Revelations was written about Rome, primarily. I think it was a allegorical message that John wrote to explain how Christians were supposed to persevere through Roman persecution. I think that there's like eternal truths written in that and things that you can, you can like take from that to describe just like, Hey, ongoingly Christians living in the world when they're persecuted by earthly rulers, how we're supposed to act and, and, and look towards God for, you know, like, you know, the ultimate, like when he comes again, but I don't, you know, the whole mark of the beast and the, seven seals and i don't know all that stuff to me it's like and the 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 christian community like the part of it that's like sitting there like you know it's like tea leaves reading the books of revelations and trying to point to different current events and go like ah this is it this person's the antichrist or this is the mark of the beast or you know this or that it just uh, to me it's it's snake oil it's just like you know people just trying to uh, it, it, it's like the same same kind of like mentality or spirit that I think people have when they're like when they're gambling or when they get, get like caught up in you know like uh, it's almost like when people get caught up like in the uh, obsess obsessiveness over Bitcoin and it going up and up and up it's just like people just get like obsessed over these these things and and try to predict the future and and I don't know why people do that because I'm just like you know some people are good at it and they get rich but you know, i don't know if it's good or it's luck but like for me it's just like trying to predict the future is stupid you just there's too many variables as a, especially as a libertarian right like that's why isn't that why central planning doesn't work is because it's like there's too many variables to try to predict so trying to you know that stuff seems silly to me um you know and i you know i respect your 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 journey you know like i'm not gonna yeah um, any kind of like deontological outlook on the world Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I think the lag came back. Uh, I was just gonna say, uh, like, I any like deontological outlook on the world where where like 
to, it, it has to end up in, in a way, like I need to like make the world work in the way that I want it to. Like even from a libertarian perspective, uh, you know, kind of like late Rothbard or Hoppe, like that, those kinds of things where it's like, we must create anarchy in exactly our anarchy. It's like, why? That's kind of, it's an oxymoron. Yeah, no, I, I, I would agree with you there. I mean, you know, I, I actually, there's, there's parts of late Rothbard and Hoppe that I like, and I think they, they, there's some brilliant things that they, they wrote in the, that time period. But, uh, but yeah, I think, I think, you know, to me, it's, it's a bit, it's a much a mirror to what I was talking about earlier, where it's just like, I think, I think the problem is, again, it's the same thing with like the gambler. It's the thing with the, the, the Christians, with the end times, people suddenly will get possessed by a spirit of like ultra high time, pre- time preference where they're just like, it's all going to happen now. And we got to make it happen now. And they just like get, they get possessed by this like urgency and a need to like, I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know where that comes from. Um, I'm sure, you know, like psychologists could explain maybe some kind of phenomena or some kind of like, you know, set of circumstances and personality types that might lead to that kind of thing. I don't know, but you know, that's just something I've observed where people just like snap and it's like, they start acting irrationally in that high time preference mindset. And you're just like, you can't talk them out of it when they do that. And I'm always, I'm always really wary of that. Cause it's just like, to me, like I talk about time preference a lot on my show because to me, like it's such a useful way to examine things. I, f- I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of what separates libertarians from the rest of the world is our, our very low time preferences. And that's how the state you know, like we outnumber the state. I mean, like it's it's ridiculous that this tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of the population has the majority, overwhelming. I mean, over ninety five percent of the population, like you know, is able to to lock them in their homes and get away with all the tyranny that and and theft and corruption that they do because we outnumber them severely. Um, yeah, but they're able to do that by pushing the population, and this is why two-party politics is so toxic they're able to push the population into you know high time preferences but just like aimed at each other and that's why every every four years is the most important election of our lifetime um and Mm -hmm. every every you know i've even starting to become less alarmist about the collapse of the state and the economy and it's not that i don't see the arguments for why the state and the economy could collapse soon but I just know that, like, you know, haven't people been saying that for a while? And, like, am I getting caught up in that same thing where people are like, oh, it's going to happen? You know, accelerationism, let's go. And it's just like, eh. like, maybe, but also 50 years from now, we might still be saying the same thing. It's like any day now, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come crashing down. Um, right. So, you know what I mean? Yeah, I would argue that, like, uh, what makes us better is that we have a lower time preference and what makes us fail is because we have too high of a time preference. Like, cause I think we also fall into that every four years is the most important election of our lifetime trap. Uh, you know, we're willing to throw away a perfectly good opportunity on a bill weld because like, this is the most important election of our lifetime. Um, you know, we're not willing to run a vermin Supreme ca- type candidate uh, that might like turn some people off, but might lay the groundwork for for an actual movement uh, because because we have way too high of a time preference as a party. As a philosophy, it's a low time preference.
sense as a, as a party, unfortunately, it's not. That's true. Well, that's probably because party politics creates like, and this is something, you know, it, 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 yeah, like the minute you enter the political realm, you're, you're trying to take a bunch of people that generally have low time preferences and get them to play a game that con- conditions people to, to have those high, preference, high, high time preference mentalities. <laughs> and it's a constant pushback. <laughs> I will forever refer to them as as pine preferences, yeah. <laughs> For, forever. <laughs> um, uh, and the, so, yeah. I actually, I'm going to ask you kind of like a, a random philosophical question. Even though I I said that I don't believe in like a beginning and an end, I think time is like kind of cyclical. So there is like a, a an end times that happens every once in a while. Um, I've I've been musing on this, and I've never actually like said it on a show or something like that. But I think there's something to do with the rise of ADHD uh, and ADD in the population Hmm. that, like, the entire population as a whole's time preference continues to get higher and higher and higher as time goes on. And, like, the rise of ADHD is kind of, like, just us us finally recognizing that, I think. It's just just continuing that same evolution naturally – uh, but now we have like a word for why our kids are different than our parents. Um, hmm. And I'm curious if that has some kind of like a, like an, an end result, like does that culminate in a reason for that? And that does kind of actually speak to maybe, maybe that collapse is coming. Maybe. I mean, there, you know, we, we make these jokes in all of our podcasts a lot about like, I, and I, I remember, um, I forget what podcast it was where Dave Smith was like, you know, the, the, the greatest strength of libertarians is our autism, but the greatest weakness of libertarians is our autism. <laughs> and I was like, that's so true. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. part of me, yeah, that, that's an interesting theory to wonder like if these things are like, and I've often wondered too, like in the same tangent, like in a hundred years, will ADHD and autism and all this, will that be the norm? And the people that aren't like us will be the minority, um, you know, because so maybe we're just weird, like, you know, whether it's some kind of genetic mutation or uh, like a slight one like that or just just whatever the cause is. I can't think of environmental ones unless, you know, you want to get like, uh, I don't know, like the, the crazy vegans and naturopaths that are like it's the hormones in the milk and it's the it's the stuff in the water turning the frogs gay like you know <laughs> like so uh, barring conspiracy theories about the the environmental impact which i don't know may, maybe there's something to it there um but uh yeah maybe there's sugar kind of, consumption plays a part for sure hmm, that's true sugar and caffeine but probably are two substances that like humans have started to consume at like you know exponentially higher amounts compared to before those things became highly popularized and commercialized so that maybe you know could could be that those environmental factors are bringing out genetic mutations or or or, you know things in the underlying genome that wouldn't otherwise otherwise be as present or as acted upon you know it's it's often you know it's the whole nature nurture thing it's usually both um, but yeah, that's an interesting theory because, you know, like w- one of the things that like, you know, some of the paleo people will talk about is just like, well, not everyone's a libertarian and we're a minority and we're always going to be a minority. And I don't know, I guess I'm more white pilled in that regard. Cause I've always felt like 
we are eventually going to win. I don't know how long. It could be a hundred years. It could be a thousand years. But I feel like eventually the human race is going to figure figure this out. I just feel like the ideas make too much sense. Um, but I wonder if, you know, it, it, it's a bit of a chicken and the egg thing. Like, is are, are, are people who were ADHD and autistic just because we are, I don't know, the way our brains work and we're already thinking differently, we don't quite fit in into the structures around us. So because of that, we are looking... Like we are more susceptible to uh, breaking free of our programming, I guess, if that makes sense, than breaking free out of the indoctrination. Um, or is it, I don't know, could it be the other way around where, uh, you know, like, like you have to be like us to actually, like, like you know, because some people have said that, like, it's almost, like, there, there are people that say, like, political beliefs are almost determined like there's some people that believe in uh what is the political determinism which i'm a not a big fan of i yeah i don't think that's true um i mean because one of the things i hate most about religion what determinism yeah that's that's an interesting concept too because i mean like i i've i've grown up in my later years where i've taken my faith more seriously in a more like neo-calvinist environment so there's always this dichotomy in the in the Christian religion between like God's sovereignty and human free will. And that's that's a that's always a really like mind boggling discussion to go down. Um but yeah, I just I've I've always kind of felt that uh I don't know, I remember growing up I I, I grew up thinking ADHD and this stuff was all like made up terms for just like children mm-hmm. that were Same. like you know what I mean? And, and, but then, uh, after being married for several years and my wife just being like, okay, you lose your car keys and your wallet more than any other human being I've ever met. <laughs> and just like noticing all these patterns of behavior and then, you know, saying you should see a psychologist maybe and talk about, you know, these things. And so I went, I went and had counseling for a year and about three months in my counselor was like, you know, have you ever been tested for ADHD? And I was like, no, that's not real. He was like, Okay, <laughs> so then, so then weeks of weeks of con- conversation happened there, and then finally he gave me a test, and you know I I got the test evaluation and went to a doctor and got. Well, the doctor tried telling me this is I hate the medicine part of this because I feel like they're not nuanced enough because they tried telling me I was not only uh, that I have ADHD, they tried telling me I had I scored high on depression, and I was just like. I don't, I don't really think I'm depressed. And they were like, oh, well, you answered highly agree to questions like, I don't have motivation to do stuff. And I was like, yeah, that's not because I'm depressed. It's because I'm a lazy piece of shit sometimes. <laughs> it's completely different. Can <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, relate. Like, yeah, yeah. It's like, or it's like executive dysfunction where it's like, oh my gosh, there's so much to do. And you're like, what do I do first? And you're just like, you know, you spend an hour obsessing over how do I do this? And you're like, oh, great. I've got nothing done, but I've obsessed about doing nothing for the past hour. So that was productive. <laughs> so Hello, relatable. God damn. I feel yeah. called out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I don't know. That's, I'll have to think on that a little bit. Um, but I, I wonder to what extent, uh, because it does seem like a lot of the, you know, I was surprised how much of the libertarian community is, 
you know, is like me. Like, that's why I, I love being in this movement and in the party, because I suddenly feel at home and I have a lot of friends. Um, and it's not even like it's not just the Mises oh, yeah. caucus. Like, it's just, you know, the entire movement is people like me. And doesn't matter if they're Christian, doesn't matter if they're atheist, doesn't matter if they're Buddhist Jews, I don't know, <laughs> whatever you're <laughs> dabbling in. It's just like, you know, it's like we all kind of have these same mindsets and, and we can have these really fascinating conversations. And it's just, but before I got into this movement, I tried talking to people about the ideas in my head and they'd look at me like, you know, like, you know, wh wh why, why are you speaking, you know, in, you know, like, it's like, it's I mean, like I still in the think that when you talk. But... Well, okay, fair enough. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I remember, I remember growing up just thinking that like, I, you know, like I didn't have a lot of friends in high school and stuff because the way I looked at the world didn't go like, you know, like a lot of us are, are hyper individualists, I think because of our ADHD and our, and our autism. So like, we don't, we don't just do things generally because everybody else is doing them. And in fact, I, I've always, I, I know this about me. I am, you know, I can't, I don't know how to edit it, but I intentionally do the opposite of what people expect out of me sometimes just because I hate when people put expectations on me. Mm -hmm. You probably relate to that yeah, too. Same. Oh yeah. I'm a, I'm a hyper contrarian. Uh, so I think that there, there's two facets to what you're talking about. Cause there's a, the like uh, the actual, cause like ADHD gives you a higher time preference. Right. Um, so like mm -hmm. that kind of like, heightened awareness of things that people with ADHD have and like that kind of that weirdness and and individualism I think plays into us becoming libertarians I also think uh especially with the autism side of it which I don't believe that I have I've never been tested but um but I think with that side of it uh, they also become like people become significantly more analytical and better at that analysis uh, right so like economics like dumb economics doesn't make sense to most autistic people like uh at least for not we, an extended period of time we we have a high time preference for uh like trying to figure out how to phrase this we have high time preference energy to obsess over discovering how to behave in a low type time preference fashion. <laughs> That's probably the best way to put it. And like, like if you watched my my journey into becoming a anarchist, like it is so ADHD riddled. I mean, like because I was literally obsessing over the theory and the philosophy, and then like when I discovered that some libertarians were anarchists, I went like hard in and debating the anarchist for like an entire day. And, and actually, that's how I became an anarchist. Was like I, I became so obsessed over it. I read every article they gave me. I listened to, I, I listened in one day to Freedom by Adam Kokesh. I listened to a couple of videos of Stefan Molyneux before, you know, Trump years. Um, I listened, I uh, read some some articles from 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 uh, like Mises.org, and just had like you know people sharing me a lot of like quotes and stuff like that. And like, I mean like an entire day obsessing over this and at the end of the day just kind of going crap i have nothing left like i literally i was like i've exhausted everything in my in me to oppose this so i guess i agree with it now and that's kind of how i usually go about things it's like i won't accept something as true until i obsess over it and figure out every way i can try to reinforce it um but that's probably why that's probably how a lot of people 
you know, who we, we have these similar mindsets have come to our positions. That's probably why we also are really bad at talking to normies sometimes because we're just like, we get it because we've spent all those hours obsessing over it. And then we're like mad because it's like, why don't you get it after I've talked to you for 10 minutes? You, you stupid statist. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, like no, no one's going to do a, you know, ADHD, like cocaine riddled, like <laughs> journey into anarchism in 24 hours. It's actually not normal behavior. So, mm-hmm. so I don't read as much as most of my friends. And I also don't like watch nearly as much podcast. Uh, so like that, that like uh, obsessive thing, I figured out uh, in high school kind of how to turn it off. Um and I forgot how to turn it back on. Uh, so I actually, like, I find it very difficult to, to, to do that anymore unless it's, like, very, very engaging. But I do do this. I said doo-doo. God damn it. You said um, doo-doo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I basically did the same thing but with another human, like, in person. And I actually, right. it coincided with that final walk away from my faith. It was the same person mm. and the same hours long of tripping, arguing with this wonderful, wonderful woman. Uh, and like she, uh, her name is Livy McKay. She's an amazing cannabis activist. Um, and we spent many, many days over last year uh, tripping balls and arguing about either anarchy or, or philosophy. And until she convinced me of both. <laughs> It's interesting that psychedelics kind of took you, in a sense, away from God. Because I've actually encountered more people who were like the opposite, who were more agnostic, but then using psychedelics kind of made them a bit more. But I guess you're not you're not really an atheist, but you're just kind of like you've become more agnostic, mm-hmm. you know, and and not so much in believing in the Christian God. I don't I don't know too much about Buddhism outside of what I remember from like world cultures class. Um, so I can't speak too much to that. Um, how much but, do you know about Gnostic Christianity, like early Christian, like Gnostics? I've, I looked into the Gnostics and stuff, and you know, there's, yeah, there's there, there's some because that's that's probably a closer there. analogy. Uh, yeah, than, well, I know I know a lot of the Gnostics were very anti-statist. I mean, I, that's how I remember first reading about them was like, I mean, the first Gnostic Christians actually left Rome because they were like. We don't want to live here. We don't want to be under the state and stuff. So they went and started their own, their own shit. So that's how I remember first reading about them, and you know, hell of respect for that. Um, but yeah, I have more. Yeah, I, I I do have more of a belief in Christianity in the in the more traditional sense. Like I I do like you know, but I, I'm not a agnostic or like a you know a Jesus only kind of Christian or you know like I, I believe that the stories of the Bible were real. I believe that Jesus actually died on the cross and rose again and, and all that, mm-hmm. um, you know, but, you know, I am very, you know, like I've in the same way I've gone after my libertarian beliefs, I've gone after my Christian beliefs too. Um, I don't know. I guess I've just always felt that the Christian worldview makes the most sense out of the world. And even when I get to the point where cause I've gotten to some point where in my, you know, mind, I'm like questioning things and I'm like, you know, you can't completely reconcile it. I mean, there's a reason why it's called faith. And it's because it takes a certain bit of like, I don't know, but I'm going to believe it anyway. 
to live in that worldview mm-hmm. if you're really going after it like intentionally um because otherwise it wouldn't be faith right like it's like if this is what pisses me off a lot about a lot of christians is when they treat believing in god and christianity and the religion as if it's like you know like oh i believe in god in the same way that i believe that water is wet or that you know you know like just it's it's real and i'm just like i I don't know like to me it just seems kind of disingenuous it's like these are different things and like i don't need i mean unless you're just like a you know a, a dumb solipsist who like thinks i don't know anything i might be a brain in the vat and i don't know i think that's stupid it's like and even then it's like that's a whole wormhole into epistemology and all that oh okay (laughs) (laughs) i've Um, I've gone down that rabbit hole a couple times maybe we live in a simulation i don't know i I don't know it's (laughs) right i i find it i Uh, mean it's but but anyway to, to finish my point it's like um crap I, i'm losing it um okay it'll come back to me go go ahead and make your point maybe my point will come back to me uh i was just gonna add to to what you were saying that like uh to be a radical atheist and say that there is no god and that there is no anything beyond this takes the exact same amount of faith if not a little bit more than any religion mm-hmm. yeah and i've always so, thought like, that the hardcore atheists were almost like a little bit more faith personally but you know try mm-hmm. saying that to one of them and they'll you know th- their eyes will roll into this the is me calling heads. out reed coverdale live on the biblical <laughs> <Anarchist. laughs> you know, reed keeps reed keeps standing me up we've had to reschedule a couple times now but it's all it's all cool that's why i i named i had reed cancel on me on tuesday and then uh i had to reschedule with my guest from last uh saturday so like literally like twice in four days I had people cancel on me. So then uh Tuesday when I went live, I titled the name of the podcast The One Where Jacob Got Stood Up Twice. <laughs> I was like so I had I had I had some friends come on with me and I was like, You guys need to like I'm gonna sit here, it's like, you know, I'm the girl who got stood up twice. I'm gonna eat ice cream and you guys are gonna tell me I'm pretty for an hour so I can feel better about myself. Um yeah, it was a fun time. I, I sometimes I like those shows where it's just a bunch of people shooting the shit more than the uh, the the interview style. They're different, but they're 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 uh, they're fun. Um, I yeah, I think. Let's see, atheists. Well, this one. Yeah, oh, they spend a lot of time talking about someone t- they think doesn't exist. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, for me, it's just like you know, I I definitely could never be an atheist. Like even if I ever got to a point where I. I wasn't, um, and this is what I was saying earlier. It's like, I don't know God exists. I don't know that the, because, exp- like, you know, I experienced what I would call a relationship with, with God and with Jesus, but it's not like it's the same kind of relationship I have with my wife. Like, it's a completely different kind of experience. It's a bit more, you know, like feelings and just like recognizing patterns and, and it's, it's, it's very personal, um, for me to say, oh, I have certainty about that in the same way that I have certainty about, like, my relationship and the existence of my wife and kids, it just doesn't seem intellectually honest to me. And, like, if it was, it's like, I don't need faith to know my wife is there. I don't need faith to know that you're there right now. Like, we're not even in the same room. There's enough evidence here for me to say that, like, it doesn't require any type of faith at all for me to know that, like, I'm talking to David Fight on a stream right now. 
it does. I think there's good reasons to believe in God and Christianity, but they're not proofs. They're they're not even like hard evidence. They're just like they're good reasons to justify why you would have faith. Because I've always and I made this comparison to uh, I forget if I said this to Reed or Jose, where I said like when atheists make the flying spaghetti monster uh, straw man, it's like. There are more reasons to have faith in the Christian God, or even in Buddhism. There's more reasons to have faith that Buddhism is true than in a flying spaghetti monster. Because, like, there's no religion out there that makes any kind of case for a flying spaghetti monster. But there is a, you know, long, detailed religion making a case for Buddhism, just like there's a long, detailed religion making a case for the Christian God. So, um, you know, know, the Christian religion makes sense to me, makes sense of my my life and my world. Um, I, I think that the moral system is true, but you know, I, I also, this is where I don't get too obsessed with trying to argue people into the faith because I have more of a Calvinist background, because like the Calvinist view of salvation is that God has to reveal himself to you. And mm-hmm. my only job is to preach the gospel and you know, you preach the gospel, the Holy Spirit acts upon somebody and God reveals himself to them and 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 starts the process of salvation. Um, and mm-hmm. it's not always like those exact steps. It can be complicated. It can be a little bit out of order. You know, people can have salva- experiences of salvation in my mind that might take an entire lifetime or even go beyond their lifetime. I don't know. Like, you know, I don't want to put God in a box, but uh, but it's not my job to convince somebody to believe in God. My my job is just to live my life based upon what I feel called to and to just be a good witness. And that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I think, I think if so, a lot more Christians did that, they'd have a lot less uh, pushback from, from, you know, people who aren't Christians. Cause they, you know, it's, I think Christians are more pushy than libertarians, you know what I mean? Or, or even sometimes more pushy than vegans. Like, like the people make the joke, it's like, how do you know if there's a vegan in the room? They'll tell you. It's like, yeah, They'll but Christians you. are sometimes worse. <laughs> so you, you're making the my favorite, my absolute favorite, like, religion to politics uh, conversation. And I'm glad we get to touch on this. Because I believe that those of us that come from a Christian background have a leg up on other people when it comes to political outreach. Because when it comes to libertarianism, uh, it's a philosophy at the end of the day. It's a political philosophy, but it's still a philosophy. Like You have to actually believe in your heart that you shouldn't hurt people or take their stuff. Like That's something that you actually need to internalize and then figure out for yourself all of the different places that uh, that applies. Because you might believe that on a kindergarten level that like you don't do that, but then you have to realize that taxes is doing that war is doing that you have and like one by one the war on drugs is doing that you know you have to one by one apply that life philosophy to political issues and then you check enough of those boxes then you're a libertarian you can't argue people through those steps it's never you might be able to have like a deep passionate argument through to one of them but you are never going to argue someone into that life philosophy that basic like we should not steal stuff from people whether it's through taxes whether it's for a good reason it doesn't matter all theft is bad don't do it uh 
that takes that takes that person coming to a realization with themselves and we basically just have to be witnesses like a good christian that goes and shows people that you can have this ideology and be a good person and live a good life and you just have to be that like cool coworker that the people like and they're like oh why is he so nice why does he give so much to charity oh it's because he's a libertarian and he doesn't pay his taxes yeah. so he gives his tax dollars to charity instead <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i agree i think that um i think that the way that christians are supposed to evangelize not they don't always do it the way they're supposed to but the way they are supposed to is the way libertarians should too and i think there's a lot of parallels between you know this is like what i wanted to get into with you too was like the way that the church is dysfunctional and fails to do what it's supposed to to me the libertarian movement broadly even but i think even specifically just to target to talk about the party i think has failed in the same way it's like they put the cart before the horse and they expect that people should just automatically be i don't know like 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 they should we should just be able to go out there and say, you know, X, Y, Z, and then suddenly they'll just be convinced on the spot. And that's just not how people, that's not how people work. Like, even if you want to take religion out of it, that's not how like psychology works. And like, I've, I've, I've studied a lot into the psychology about how people change their minds. And it's like, you can make the best arguments in the world. And if a person is dogmatically closed in their mind to having their mind changed, you're never going to convince them. Alternatively, somebody who's open to having their mind changed could be convinced by an argument that's not even half as good as the one you made to the other person. So it's it's all a matter about just meeting people where they where they where they are, and you know looking for oper- opportunities. And I, I think a lot of times it's like we don't change people's minds. I think I think life and experiences cause people to change their own mind, or it's like it's not even. It's not even voluntary. Like if I think people, if like if you if you look back at the times you've had your mind changed, it's not even usually a choice. There's usually this like weird moment where you're confronted with information, and there's this weird cognitive dissonance, and then there's like a. It, it's always a to me. It's like a light bulb, but it's not always a light bulb. Like it goes pop. It's like this slow but steady dimmer switch where it just goes from from dark to lit, and it's like as soon as like. Um, or it's like a, it's like a, it's like a string of dominoes or a string of dynamite. It's like once it's lit, once you hit that first one, it's like that's all you need to do, and then that person will be convinced eventually, whether it's like an hour or a day or a week. But once you start that process, they're eventually going to get there. Um, but you have to get mm-hmm. them open to the point where you can knock down that first domino, and then it's just a matter of letting the pieces fall where they may. Yeah. And I think uh, coming from a Christian perspective, we understand the the necessity for multiple, both multiple forms of outreach and then also multiple forms of teaching in general. Like we need the outreach and then we also need the Bible study where where we bring those people in and teach them more stuff. And then we need uh, like seminary to train people on how to go out there. Like, you know, we need multiple levels of this. Uh, and so I think that's another pro- place where the movement has a problem. It would be like uh, if the people at, that run the seminary uh, were shitting on the people that do street ministry because it's uh, it's just it's marketing to milk toast Christians and right. and weak Christians and and you just want to get them in the door. You don't actually want to make them a Christian. You're just trying to like 
like that's kind of what we do uh or vice versa you know the people on the streets are saying oh you're just sitting inside reading your books just straight talking to only christians what are you doing you're not bringing anyone into the church and and we have that and as from a christian perspective that just sounds dumb right like like those words coming out of my mouth sound so dumb but like that's exactly what we're doing with the liberty movement yeah no i i agree i think that the uh the libertarian uh party and and the and the church also have this in common where it's like they hate the people they're supposed to be reaching and you know like like you know i mean like the churches the christians are supposed to do what jesus said which is like to like what you've done to the least of these you've done unto me and you're supposed to be going out and trying to get the remnant trying to 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 be a like jesus put it this way he's like you know up until now you've been uh fishers of the sea and i will teach you how to be fishers of men and you know as libertarians you know who libertarian activists we are kind of in the same christian tradition we are fishers of men in a sense but the way you draw people in and you grow a movement isn't by um and and i don't even want to call like it's not just one faction here like it happens happens all over the place i think every part of the lp right now whether it's the mises caucus i'm in or it's the polar opposite, like the loser brigade types, they all have, oh, these people are the undesirables. We hate them and we don't, you know, they're, they're icky. We can't talk to them. We can't associate with them. We can't try to, to, to draw them in. Um, and they have their preferred crowd that they want a message to. And it's like, listen, if you feel called, like, yeah, like if you, like, let's say, use a Christian example. If you feel like I want to do a ministry where I work with alcoholics, Nobody would in the church accuse somebody of going, well, you must support alcoholism. You're going and hanging out and talking with all these alcoholics, and you're not denouncing alcoholism the whole time. Like, well, no, that's stupid. You're not going to help alcoholics if you go to the bar or go to areas where alcoholics are and just start going on about how awful it is to be an alcoholic. They're probably going to not want to talk to you. Um in, in the same vein, like when I see people, you know, broadly on the left, maybe even center left in the libertarian movement, look at Trumpers and look at Republicans. Now, listen, like I have a bias against the GOP, like the political party. I don't have a, I don't have a bias against the people in it, uh, but it seems like a lot of the left libertarians do where it's just like they're racist, they're xenophobic, they're, you know, they're anti-immigrant, you know, all these things. It's like, yeah, they are. And, you know, maybe we should do something about that. Maybe we shouldn't, maybe if they knew more libertarians, less of them would be caught up in that. But, you know, day one of... And the same thing happens the other way around with the Democrats and the right-wing libertarians. Uh, You know, the amount of shit that I got for working for Tulsi Gabbard, like, I still, to this day, it's been over a year, I still get shit for working for Tulsi Gabbard. Oh, yeah. I've seen people say stuff that I've gotten really pissed off about in the Macy's Caucus uh, Facebook group, which actually just came back today. It was down for over a, yeah, over a day. Don't know how long that – it could be gone by now. Who knows? But <laughs> it was back up as of two hours ago. Um, but somebody once said uh, so, like, it was like so, socialists or leftists can't be reformed. Let's stop wasting our time with them. And I was like, I voted for Bernie Sanders in 2016. I know so many people who have come from the left. 
and I and I and I, I actually said if you want to be really technical here, like you're using dumb status definitions of right versus left anyway. And if because uh, I was like, if you're a libertarian or an ANCAP, you are acting out a left wing uh, archetype and a left wing tradition because uh, the traditional right wing was preserving the monarchy and the left wing was against the monarchy. And, you know, so, you know, we are, you know, in a lot of ways we are, <laughs> the, the no matter right and left anarchists are kind of still like against the state, against usually against the monarchy, I guess. There's some anarcho-monarchists out there, I guess. So <laughs> the paleo people, but it's like, you know, it's like, but I just, I don't understand this whole mentality of like, we have to hate people or put people into these camps where they're like, they're, they're lepers and we can't mm-hmm. talk to them. Like outside of people who were actually calling for like violence, like if somebody um, was saying, you know, we should round up this group of people and just kill them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like uh, I'm going to be a bit more weary. Like I wouldn't go and hang out with murderers. <laughs> like Jesus hung out with like, tax like, collectors Dick, and sinners Dick and stuff. Cheney, but he didn't have... Maybe. Yeah, right. <laughs> maybe Bill Weld I wouldn't hang out with, let alone. Uh... <laughs> if I don't shit on Bill Weld at least three times a podcast, I'll get disowned by the Mises caucus. So it's just part of my mm-hmm. contract. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's just like, you know, but you know, it's like, uh, you know, I'll probably turn off some Mises people here. I'm not against if, if I thought that Bill Weld was reachable, which I don't think he is right now, you know, but I, I like, I'm willing to to sit down and have a conversation with and be friends with anybody. If I think that they can be reached and, mm-hmm. you know, I think that might be informed. Like, you know, maybe this is something you've, you know, from your background, you'll agree with where it's like, I think the Christian worldview where it's like, you've, you're taught to view everyone as sinners, but that grace, like Jesus died for the sins of all. And, you know, mm-hmm. none of us are better than the other. I think that's kind of where maybe that mentality comes from for me, but maybe for other people that don't have it, they're just used to, you know, there has to be a group of people who are cast off. I don't know, but I mean, mm-hmm. You know, but you're right. Like this happens on both sides. But I just like I'm just so sick and tired of it. It's like you know whether they're far right, far left. Even you know, it it gets a little dicey with people on the alt right because some of them, you know, like I wouldn't I wouldn't have a conversation with Christopher Cantwell, <laughs> or uh, um, you know what I mean. But most likely yeah. not. But even then, it's just like, aren't you having uh, Stefan Molyneux on your show? Yeah, so like this is what I was gonna say. I got a lot of shit because I was gonna have Stefan Molyneux on. And it's like, listen, like I'm not dumb. I know what the issues with Stefan Molyneux are. But I also remember when he was actually really based. And, you know, I've heard him on a couple podcasts recently, and he sounds more like the old Stefan Molyneux. And I'm just like, eh, I, I sent him an invite. He said, sure. It's like, I disagree with the guy on some things. I think he's like, really awful on some things actually like he's really awful on police for one uh back during 2020 he uh justified just about every single police shooting that happened in 2020 which mm-hmm. just like you know that was like I-, I remember watching that and actually in the live chat like going after him and, and him and i having a spat and stuff it's like i've 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 I'm, I'm not saying that he doesn't have issues it's just like but he also has a huge following of people who are Trump supporters, and I just see too many people on the left who are just demonizing everyone on the right. And it's just like, 
you know what you're doing is you're actually just incentivizing them to get worse, not better. So to me, it's like yep. if we don't take the time to try to humanize, you know, as many of these people as possible. And yeah, like Stefan's a bit more out there than than some, but I I think you know at least for me he's close he's close enough to a place where I think he can be talked to. I mean, he still calls himself an anarchist, and he still says yeah. that he wants a stateless society. Um, mm -hmm. So you know, I don't know. It's like you know, and I'm not saying there's a place for for challenging people, but it's how you do it. I mean, does that make? What are your thoughts? I mean, and, and if you have any disagreements with anything I said, you know, like I don't want you to just you know, I really like if you think don't. There's a uh, I, I think the analogy you made earlier about the alcoholics outreach was spot on. Like, and and to what you just said about encouraging them to get worse. Like, if you go into bars, put up a soapbox, and start screaming about how, like, reading off Bible verses, like these people are gonna drink more. Like, just to annoy you, first of all. And second right. of all, because you're going to make them want to drink more. Like, you're going to, like, the next day, they're not even going to see you, but they're just going to be like, I just, like, I just want to get a drink. Because, like, fuck that guy. Like, he told me I shouldn't, and now I'm going to. Like, it's just how people fucking behave. Uh, and so, yeah, we're we're ostracizing people that that need outreach like like those people that are drinking every single day in the bar they need help like desperately like alcoholism is bad guys don't do it like <laughs> but if you're demonizing all alcoholics you're never going to save any of those people and i know dozens of people that have been brought into the liberty movement through the alt-right uh that you know were 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 horrible awful people two or three years ago um i know people that were in charleston uh when when the unite the right rally happened i i know i i actually there were people i grew up with that were there um uh, now a bunch of them are libertarians and they don't believe any of that stuff anymore and it's because people like yourself people like dave smith people like tom woods were willing to talk to these people and they saw like Cantwell and Dave Smith or something like that. And they were like, oh, well, that guy makes more sense than the guy that I've been following. <laughs> right. And it's like, I mean, I remember Cantwell making actual calls for violence. So that's why I was kind of like, mm -hmm. like I, Stefan, to my knowledge, you know, and, and people said he did, but they couldn't back it up. Like some people said he was calling for eugenics. And I was like, I've never seen it. Can you back it up? They didn't. I went on his website and he has this whole thing where he goes on about, the people, the things people have said about him, and he's like, uh, "No, I reject." He, you know, he actually would probably piss off some Mises Caucus people because he was like, he didn't only condemn eugenics; he condemned racism. <laughs> he said, I, so "I was like, oh god, it's too far, man." <laughs> so like, if you he's like, don't go, go, don't do uh, what Joe did and say we must be anti-racist now because that's the kiss of death. <laughs> naughty, naughty, <laughs> but um. Uh, but yeah, it's just like, um, yeah, whether it's left or right, like if we go around and yell at socialists and communists, it's just like, oh, like, you know, you, you dumb Marxists and stuff like, you know, Stalinism is repugnant and, and all that, like, it's not going to change anybody's minds. And listen, like, I hate racism, but I just, I've encountered racists in my life. I don't know of one racist who had their mind changed because people went around going racism is bad. And then when they encountered racist people went you know, ill, you're racist, and then like block them and said, let's not, you know, everybody, let's not talk to the racists and let's, let's, uh, 
uh, turn him into a leper class. It's like, I that doesn't seem to be working, you know? And so it's like, and then like, they that's when they call themselves against... the silent majority. Right. It's like, and they, the left has no answer for this. Like the, the, I'm not saying like the people on the left who are making these arguments, I, I'm always trying to be careful not to be too, like too, making too uh, big of a generalization, but it's hard to be as specific as possible. But the people yeah. on the left who are making these arguments and stuff, or even the center, um, it's like, you're going to contradict yourself if you try to uh, oppose this in my mind. Cause it's like, you guys have been making racism, like the worst evil, the thing that gets people canceled, that gets people fired, the thing that gets people hounded on social media for years now. Okay. So, and then, but at the same time, you talked about how Trump represented how there's a big problem with racism and sexism in our country. So it's like, you literally cannot say both of those things at the same time, that ostracizing people and demonizing them works to combat racism, and that Trump was a sign of the fact that racism and sexism were rampant. It's like, it can't be both. (laughs) I actually think that Trump is kind of a sign that sexism and racism are bigger problems in our country than people were probably aware of before that. But I think it was because uh, of those things on the left that are causing, you know, and it's a, it's cyclical, right? It's like the left attacks the right, which they become reactionary and attack the left. And then they double down reactionary. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's the way the game is played. Um, but it's like, you know, again, we should be smart. Like, I don't want to go. Yeah. I want to like, let's say we should reach out to alcoholics. I agree that like, we shouldn't make an alcoholic uh, a pastor. So (laughs) I agree. Like, you know, there, there needs to be a bit more caution than maybe there has been at some times with the outreach to the right or to the left statists and whatnot to be like, yeah, reach out and talk to them. Also like, you know, draw clear lines of like, associating with them and putting them into positions where they would have influence like you know you wouldn't want you you wouldn't want someone who was a alcoholic teaching a class like you know literally got drunk at the bar yesterday teaching a class on <laughs> on a you know in alcoholics anonymous the next day yeah so um i guess the, the last thing that i wanted to ask you about a little bit um, cause you've said your views have changed a bit on this and I wanted to, uh, to, to hear where you're at on it, but what do you think, you know, we've been talking a little about the LP and strategy stuff, and I think we agree a lot on that. Uh, what are your thoughts on the LP as far as like post the New Hampshire scandals and the pragmatist caucus, you know, going the, the way of the dodo? Um, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm in the Mises caucus, obviously. Um, and you know, you've had moments where you, you know, you've said, I, I like Mises here. Then moments where you're like, "Ah, I disagree with them there. I mean, what do you, what do you see as the current status of the LP now and and going forward? And do you, do you see things as getting better or worse? And then, uh, you know, where does, where does the Mises caucus fit in there in, in your interpretation of, of the status quo? Uh, so I think that we were trending upwards like really well uh, during most of this year. 
like liberty unity being a thing that like a lot of people were talking about and kind of uh, attaching themselves to was pretty awesome. Like, I didn't see that coming when Reed and I and a couple of our friends were like, hey, let's like get together and do stuff and try to make the LP not hate each other. Uh, and then all of a sudden I'm interviewing Dave Smith and uh, a whole host of other crazy people that I would have never have thought that I would be friends with. Um, like we were trending in a really good direction. Um, a lot of that kind of fell apart actually before New Hampshire, uh, which I found kind of interesting. Uh, and, and I fully believe that if, if we hadn't like let the whole unity movement die for a little while, maybe New Hampshire wouldn't have been so crazy because we would have still had a couple of like voices of reason left. But, um, you know, like Mises caucus burned me like ridiculously hard, um, pre New Hampshire happening. Uh, so when I was saying, Hey guys, maybe like, let's give JBH like a day or two to figure some stuff out. There was no listening to me from the other side because I was a faker carrying it. Um, like, and right. so, and so no one in the Mises caucus would respect the single word that I had to say. So, or not no one, I, I still have some friends over there, but, uh, you know, the, the vast majority followed the Dave and Josh Smith ideology that because I went on a podcast and talked to people that they don't like, I must be someone that they shouldn't like. Cause you know, yeah. they're really big on, on talking to people that people don't like. Um, so uh, I think that, that if we had, hadn't dissolved that, uh, may, maybe New Hampshire would have gone a little bit better. Uh, I think we kind of like, you know, we were going up, we took a hard dip. Uh, the, the party and the movement as a whole is still growing. It's still, I, I think we're, we're still, I'm not going to give up. So we're still going to make liberty tangible in our lifetimes. Like that's going to have to happen or I'm going to die trying. Like that's, I'm still... I'm still in the same mindset I was six months ago. I just have some, a few less friends in various groups and uh, we have a few less members in, of various groups and I am no longer on the national team of a caucus. Yeah. And then you seem, I, I remember when you, when people in Mises were being critical of you and, and I, I, honestly, you know, it's, it's, you know, unfortunate because I was saying the same thing you were, I was like, you know, I mean, in hindsight, it feels easy to say, oh, we should have been condemning JBH from day one. But I feel like it was fair to be like, and, you know, actually, Dave Smith said, too, let's give him some time, invited him on his podcast and stuff. But unfortunately, too many people at the beginning were just, you know, it was like sharks Falling in the water when a drop of blood was, you know, they were in a frenzy. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and then when people went after you for going to the Fakertarians podcast, I was just like, I don't know, like, you, in my perspective, you spent more time actually defending the Mises Caucus than anything else. Not like defending it from a, hey, I'm a member and I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, but just like, eh, I don't disagree with that criticism. You know, I might disagree with them on this, but I think that that's unfair. Um, that was kind of what I felt was your answers were pretty much the whole time. I've been on the Fakertarians podcast. Um, no one gave me grief about it. I am getting a little sick of the tri the caucus tribal warfare. I still like the Mises caucus. I'm a state organizer. I like what we're doing, and I think we're doing good work. Just wish we would focus more on doing the good work and less on the uh, giving in to the bad actors who are basically just baiting us to punch at them, which is why I've tried to scale back a little bit 
Although uh, it's not always easy, especially when, you know, certain groups are behaving the way they are. You've gone full circle and now you have the Fakertarians going after you too. So you're just, you're just, you know. I burned uh, all the bridges. Yeah. <laughs> you're just an island of, of David right now. It's just like, you know, you pissed everybody off. <laughs> yep. What I loved was having Josh Smith tag me in a post on Fakertarians being like, see, this is blah, 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 blah. And I was like, bro, I knew that. And I that's why I went on their show and critiqued them for that. And then you did everything that they do and was a, a whitey little Fakertarian bitch and decided to burn me for no good reason when I spent an hour and a half defending. Like, I defended Josh Smith by name on that podcast, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah, more I, than once. Yeah. yeah, I don't, you know, this is something that, you know, I'm trying to be a voice of, you know, reason from the inside. It's like, and, like, and I'm sympathetic because the attacks are really bad. And I think you've seen that. Like, you know, and now I've been on the receiving end of them personally. So, and they turned me a bit toxic. And I generally try to be pretty even keeled and put up with a lot of shit. But you know, then when you start going after my my family and making death threats, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's <laughs> I'm not. You know, there's not a good way to turn your turn the cheek to that, right? <laughs> so I understand. You know, it, you know, and it's like I I, I don't know. It, it seems to me like it's hard to. It, it's human nature when people get attacked, they attack back. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to. I don't know how to solve that. You know, I I don't know if there is a good solution other than just hoping that over time that cool heads prevail. That's what I'm kind of trying to do is like maintain to the best of my ability, a cool head um, and hope, you know, that's, that's why I wanted to invite you on. And it's like, I want to continue, like I want to promote like anybody who I think is a good libertarian who you know, is acting in good faith, I want to work with, regardless if, you know, if we have exactly the same vision or or uh, beliefs or strategies. To be honest, I don't think we even have that many disagreements. Um, you know, I don't Not think, much. I don't, I, I don't think that even if you were to look at, like, forget the, the, like, take all the LP drama out of it, looking at the Macy's caucus, I don't think you or anybody being objective could look at it and go, you know, eh, there like there might be little nitpicks here and there, but for the most part, like, is there? I mean, and if I'm wrong, correct me. But like, is there anything there where, in what we're doing as far as the actual going out there and doing politics, that you look at and go, oh, I think that's horrible. Uh, I mean, no the the political work that you guys do is definitely uh is very admirable, and uh, I th- I think that there are there are a lot of critiques to be made of the caucus's creation and that timeline and, and the trajectory that they took when they, then when they came into it and the uh, like kind of boogeyman that they created out of the pragmatist caucus. Um, and yeah, I don't get that. I mean, I've gone around saying like, I'm sad the pragmatist caucus dissolved. Like, mm-hmm. I think we need like, uh, you know, division yeah. of labor. I think we need a prag caucus. I think we need yeah. a Mises caucus. I think we need a rag caucus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, we as a third party, like, and believing that two party systems and one party systems are terrible, uh, to try to like promote one of those within our party sounds kind of silly. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of lies that have come out, come out of, of the Mises caucus, uh, especially about the Prags. 
you know, there, there's there's a lot of I, I definitely have plenty of critiques of the Mises Caucus that are that are objective and outside of. And when uh, you say just to be clear, as out of like the national page or specific like leaders of the board or the caucus itself, or was it like just there's some uh, members specific who have leaders. misconceptions? Okay, uh, like. Uh, you know, specific people like Heist, like like Dave Smith. Like uh, I know she's not actually a, a member or a leader, but Karen Ann Harlos. Um, like like blatant, just objective lies uh, about about people like me and my friends uh, have been since day one, since like the very beginning of the caucus. I mean, were uh, they were they like intentional lies, or are they like just mistruths that are being repeated? I don't know uh, what you're re- referring to exactly. Well, I mean, as... so like, so like, there's there's this this storyline that that JBH is Nick Sarwark's handpicked successor to carry on his hit all of the things that he was doing uh, pre twenty uh, twenty whatever year twenty twenty. Um, that that's a blatant lie, like uh, or the or the the accusation that Nick Sarwark was ever a member of the Pragmatist Caucus. The association with the pragmatist co- of the pragmatist caucus with the Gary Johnson Bill Weld campaign, uh, we the the caucus was created after that campaign was over. Like all of those are just just blatant objective See, that's lies. What I've, yeah, I've heard a lot of the. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but like I've heard a lot more of like that last example where people attribute strategies and mindsets to the Prag caucus. That I was like, well, no, there were maybe prominent people in the Prague caucus who had those beliefs, but there was also people in the Prague caucus that, that, that didn't have those beliefs. And you guys weren't really a, but you were very different from Mises from my understanding in terms of like, you didn't really set a direction or a message out there from the caucus. It was just like people joined the caucus and just worked. But I think, I think what might've caused some of those misconceptions was just certain people who were maybe speaking from a, Maybe not even intentionally, oh, yeah. but, or but like speaking from a position that may have given off a sense that they were authoritative in the caucus and speaking for the caucus, like this is what we all believe. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, those things get repeated and misconce- misconceptions get get bred. But yeah, yeah and to to kind of dis- displace some of those misconceptions, uh, there's a reason that I was made outreach director for the caucus because most people in the caucus don't have Twitter, don't go on Twitter, don't really go on Facebook and don't do any of that stuff. There's a couple really shitty members of the caucus that do go on all those social media platforms. And the caucus leadership uh, wanted a change in their, their, the way that they were perceived and looked at me to do that. uh, Having like, you know, being friends, still being friends with the Mises caucus at the time. Like this was actually before I got burned. So uh, like that's, that's who the Prags really were. Uh, Like you said, uh, you know, they were a non-ideological caucus that had nothing to do with that. And it was all just about how do we make libertarians win? I don't care if that is a team Supreme member like Sasha Cohen, uh, who is now an elected official um, or, or some Prag like, uh, like Marshall Burt, who is now an elected official, um, you know, or, or a Mises caucus member, like, uh, I mean, you guys have some, I just can't think of a name right now. <laughs> uh, you know, like it doesn't matter. We will help you win. That was the whole point. Um, but yeah, there were so many misconceptions and they were like, I, I can't, I can't believe that they were unintentional. Uh, 
because like that dichotomy was created for a reason. Like the Mises caucus needed someone that they were fighting against to recruit, to, to bring that up. And they, they, they did the same thing that, that the duopoly does in regular politics where they, they point and they, they generalize and they say, Oh, all people are bad. So you need to be on my team. And that's kind of the energy that they took from the beginning and continue to this day. So that would be my main critique of the Mises caucus. Yeah. I mean, I think, and to be fair, like, I think there are like my perceptions a little bit different. Like I wouldn't phrase it that way, but uh, like the underlying reality, like I, I share some of those concerns and like I joined because I wanted to be a, uh, I don't know, like a, 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 a calming voice to be like, Hey guys, let's try not to be what we hate in terms of like, let's not give into just tribal partisan politics within the LP. Because if we, if we go down that road, then there's just no point to doing all of this because like, we're just going to, you know, we're, we're just already from the get go acting out the statist uh, tropes that, are going to lead to us being ineffective or like if we are effective, we're going to be effective probably in the wrong direction that we don't want to be. Um, but, you know, I think, I think the problem is it's like, there's always two sides to a story. And I think a lot of, you know, I think a lot of these, I think too many people uh, on both sides, I feel, you know, in my perception that it's more skewed towards like a lot of bad actors who aren't in the Macy's caucus um, mm -hmm. who are, intentionally like starting flame wars and and going after people in nasty way like I put it this way it's like to me it's like i i see the Mises caucus as a bunch of people who i think are generally good libertarians sometimes acting too defensively and tribal tribally and then i see another side of people who go around uh name calling and doxing and doing shit that i think is way worse and mm -hmm. so it's like <laughs> when I and when I compare one... those, two, so it's like it, it, when I put it in context, it's like okay, if you're going after like months and weeks and years of dealing with people like that, some people are going to get tribal and push back and defensive. I think it's unfortunate, but it's also predictable. But it is hard to push back against that stuff because I think you know the minute you know something gets put out there in social media gets repeated. So, you know, misconceptions about the pragmatist caucus or you personally, they just get repeated and spread around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and the one thing, or I'll say, I'll say two things here. And, and that's one, I think that the pragmatist caucus uh, had a similar uh, reactionary thing. So like we pushed JBH uh, while Nick Sarwark was still running. Um, like we wanted to replace Sarwark. Uh, JBH was our guy. Um, it was to move the party forward. Uh, and it wasn't about like that, the inner party stuff, you know, like we, we were pushing JBH, but it wasn't like all about that. And then at, when he got elected and, and it was instantly just like, there was already like, I mean, Angela McArdle announced like two and a half months later, um, there was already a race on underway and the pragmatist caucus was like, all right, I guess we're running another race. And they, they snapped into it too. And so now we actually had like a, a chair race going on, like within four or five months of, of him getting in office and, and it's 
fucking derailed uh, what was should have happened. Uh, I mean, he still did a lot of good work as chair, but he was definitely distracted by the fact that he was having to to defend his chairmanship uh, so quickly. Um, and and I called him out on that. I've called I've called many leaders in the caucus out on that to their faces because um, because I I thought that they were doing the same thing. The other thing that I'll mention really quickly because you were talking about uh, like bad actors. Um, I know for me personally, and to the best of my knowledge for you as well, um, well, maybe maybe minus one or two people, uh, these these major attacks that are coming out of the Fakertarians group are also not admins of that group. They're not admins of the page. Uh, they're not the people that actually are Fakertarians. They're just shitty asshole members of the group, save like maybe one or two admins. Yeah, but there's also, I mean, there's there's one admin in particular who's made a lot of personal attacks yeah. at me. Yeah, that, that's um, why that's why I said save one or two admins because I yeah. know I know um, that I know he's an asshole. But for the most part, you know, like Kudak is cool. Um, you know, like the, for the I'm most part, having, well, it'll be interesting to see if I get canceled because I'm having Kudak on the show in uh, September. Nice. Forget what day though. But nice. I mean, you know, I, I have strong disagreements with him, but it's like. He asked to come on, and I was like, yeah, sure, I'll have you on. Like, <laughs> He's coming on with Hilditch, actually, too. I actually like Hilditch. I, th- I feel like he'd be a cool person to hang out with in real life. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have hate for them, but I just feel like they're not helping. Like, they're not, like, mm-hmm. at this point, at this point, my, my message to people is just like, do you think the Macy's Caucus is going to disappear? Do you think there's any chance that it actually dissolves and goes away? Because to me, it's like, I don't see that happening. So now I'm not saying, all right, that means join them or leave. Like, no, not at all. What I'm saying is you could choose to bring positivity and try to make good working relationships with people, which is not that hard. There's a lot of good libertarians in the Mises caucus. Even if you like, I don't like that guy or that guy. I think, cool, don't work with them. Work with somebody else. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or at least just, even if like in your area or state, you don't have ones that you like, it's like, okay, well then, just focus on your own thing and doing things. We're not helping the party or the movement when we focus on the infighting. To to uh you know put that in I guess perspective back at me, I need to do the same thing with my friends and my associates in the Mises caucus, and that's what I'm trying to do is to tell them let's focus less on punching back and more on what we're doing. Because it, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah, the doxing is bad. Like that stuff needs to be called out. But the rest of it, the 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 lies and and the and the petty stuff and the stuff that's made up about us being Nazis and Republican entryists, it's just like, just ignore it and let's keep doing good work with. Because to me, I don't know if you've seen this. I think post New Hampshire, like things were ugly for like the first few weeks, but since then, I see a lot more unity starting to arise again, where people are going, this has to stop, like we can agree to disagree on these things and work together. And like, I've gotten put on committees in the LPPA because people have from people who are not Mises caucus. Like there are people who are like, you know, coming to me, going to other people in the caucus and going, let's work together because we don't want to fight. It's just not worth it. And then the people who uh, like this happened in my own state party of Pennsylvania, the people that weren't down with that, that were like, no, fuck Mises, we're not going to work with them, they're all these things, 
uh, the majority of the party went to them and said, listen, you can either like grow up or get out. And they mm-hmm. got out. I yep. think that is what is going to win the day over the long run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say that like uh, Fakertarians used to do good work. Um, like they've pushed some really fucking bad people out of the party. Uh, like to name Christopher Chase Rachels is a great example. Um, you know, they, because they used to have some credibility uh, as a page. And I think the, the group did a, did a lot of the damage, but you know, they've, they've definitely cried wolf plenty of times. Uh, and now like no one really listens to them. None of the people that need to listen to them for what they're doing to work no one listens to them because and and we just watched that happen with ryan dawson like i think is a great fucking example uh you know if if faker terrans still had the credibility that they had in 2017 2018 like when josh smith was a faker terrian uh yeah right that that ryan dawson thing would have been over in a day like, like it would have been like, all right, here's a video of somebody saying a bunch of really terrible stuff. And then he would have had to either answer for it or or be almost excommunicated. And like that would have been it because people with credibility were like, hey, this guy might be a Nazi. Uh, again, might be. I actually I know we went on Reed's show and I haven't watched it yet. So I'm trying to like be careful. Should, I don't actually I, I want to watch it. I just haven't had a chance to. So I'm trying to be really careful with this point. But like, I was really uh, like I was kind of like when when the video came out and I watched the whole thing, I was like, there's a couple things there that I'm like, I don't know about that. And I try to be pretty generous, but I was like, I don't know about that one. But then he went on Reed's show and t- to Reed's credit, like Reed went after him. I almost was like, Dude, I wonder if Ryan's going to get pissed at how much Reed's going after him and like putting his feet to the fire, which like and like, of course, I, I tried saying that to uh fakertarians and they were like there's no way reed would have done that like he did like he literally he even asked him about the zyklon b thumbnail and mm-hmm. ryan's answer was basically like I, there's no way for me to prove this he said that, that that they're mistaken that that wasn't for that video that that was for another video that was literally right below and i forget his exact explanation for it but i i, I need to go back rewatch it and i was going to go and try to fact check what he said but he said that that actually was a thumbnail for another video and fit that video. Um, so I don't know. The parasite thing at the end is a little weird. But my thing is just like, in my experience, actual Nazis don't go that far out of their way to, to deny being Nazis. <laughs> I, I feel like usually, especially the ones who hate the Jews, usually love to tell you about how much they hate the Jews. <laughs> right. As someone who is a Jew, they're usually just like, yeah, fuck you, you're Jewish. I hate, like, you know, it's like, you know, to me, it's like Ryan's not calling for, you know, like, you know, even if that video seems bad, it's like, OK, like when he's on Reed's show and he's on Josh Smith's show and he's talking like he's not talking about rounding Jews up and putting them in extermination camps or whatnot. He's saying, you know, he's criticizing Israel and Zionism mm-hmm. and and Jews who are acting in his like, I, I think he's a little bit inaccurate. Like he says Jews are acting in in there's some Jews who are acting in racist, very like it's going beyond in-group preference and they're acting racist towards non-Jews. I don't know if I entirely agree with that, but I can't call him a Nazi for having that mm. point of view. Uh, right. I don't know. It's so polarized. And the problem is like, like I think your point is spot on. Uh, Fakertarians has lost so much credibility that no one is willing to, it's the boy who cried wolf. 
Like mm-hmm. they might actually be right one day. Maybe there'll be one day where there's an actual Nazi that someone puts on our show. We're just gonna be like, eh, n- none of us, you know, n- none of us can take you seriously. Yep. So it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. I'll talk to John all about that when he comes on the show. He <laughs> he's going on Josh fun. Smith's show too, which I is uh, which is gonna be yeah. S- September is gonna be pretty lit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's gonna it be is. a lit month. Well, um, we went long. With, I, I said we were going to do an hour and a half uh, hard stop, and I lied. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I want to let you go. Um, but it was nice talking to you, man. Plug your stuff before you go. That way, uh, people who uh, want to come watch your uh, recently re uh, reinitialized podcast uh, can go check you out. Uh, yeah, so I am at Fight for Liberty on just about everything. So you can find me on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram. Uh, also at David Fight on Twitter is a lot more active of an account. Uh, but yeah, uh, the show has kind of been a little bit spotty because I've been traveling, but I just did a couple of episodes, one with Spike Cohen, which was arguably one of the best interviews I've done. Uh, I also just had Kane on my show. Uh, and, and a couple other people coming up will be um, Michael Bolden from the Tenth Amendment Center. And, oh, uh, nice. Yeah, nice. I'm I love stoked for that one, uh, which I will have a wonderful, beautiful guest host who is Caitlin Cloven on for that one, so that'll be fun. Uh, and, yeah, so go follow, subscribe, do all the things, and check out Nug of Knowledge if you want to get high like I am during this entire show. Is, uh, is Spike Cohen related to Tasha Cohen's husband at all? Um, I think so. I think they, um, I mean, you know, all Jews are related somehow. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, guys, go, go check out David. He's a good guy to my Mises caucus friends. Lay off my, lay off my, uh, my friend, David guys. I mean, he's a, he's a good guy. Uh, he, he's not a fakertarian. He's not out there shitting on us. We have some reasonable disagreements and I think we need to, you know, be the, be adults and, uh, you know, learn to deal with that. So, I uh, just wanted to put that out there. So, uh, I'll, as always, also um, subscribe to the podcast. 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 I can't talk straight. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Give it a like and uh, uh, share it if you can. And other than that, thank you all, you beautiful people, for coming. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. 